is Jason. I'm the, the generations pastor here, which means that um, I have the, the privilege of overseeing um, the discipleship and the programs um, and really um, helping facilitate the spiritual growth of all of our children and teenagers. And it really is um, a privilege that I get to do that uh, and just really see God at work um, in the lives of our young people. It fills my heart with so much joy to see so many young people absolutely on fire for God. One of the, the privileges also that I get with this role is that from time to time, I'll get invited to come in and speak at high schools, um, at their chapels. And I love this because it's a room filled with teenagers who have their arms crossed and their heads down and they do not want to be there. But you have the opportunity to present the gospel to them in a way that hopefully releases something in them and breaks down those barriers. And so one of my favorite things to do is go into high schools and preach the gospel. I love it. And I just love seeing these light bulb moments in kids' lives or hearing of kids go, Hey, I actually want to come along to your youth group. I heard you speak about Jesus. I'd love to, to, you know, to see more of that. And so I love it. But throughout COVID, unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to go into any schools because of different restrictions and last year yeah last year I have to get that right now last year um, was very exciting because I had a couple of moments where we had had me lined up to go and speak in schools and then you know restrictions would hit and I couldn't go in and one I literally missed out on by a day I was queued to speak there on the Thursday and then on the Wednesday we went into lockdown I was like please just let me out I'm like I want to have a go anyways Finally, I think through God's grace, he let me get back into a school. And so I had this moment where I hadn't spoken to school for over two years. I've turned 30 last year, um, which is a big you know, shock for someone who works with teenagers. They're like, wow, you're old. Yeah, it really hurts. I was actually at school the other week, and um, someone was going around saying, how old are you to all the volunteers? They're like, 18, 19, 21. He goes to me, how about you? And I said, I'm 30. He goes, whoa, respect. And I was like, oh, I'm at that point. So anyway, so I thought... I'm 30 now, so um, this is my chance to you know, really re-establish who I am as a communicator and really let them know that you know, I'm now a mature adult. So you know, normally I'd ride my moped scooter into the school and duck and weave through the school traffic, and it was a lot of fun, but I thought, nah, I'm going to get in my classy car, which is a Suzuki Swift. So I drove my little Swift to school that day. I normally wear a black shirt because I have this Mount Joy jean that allows me to sweat so much. So I always wear dark colors on stage. But I was like, no, Jason, not today. You're not sweating. So I thought, I'm going to wear a white shirt. Fantastic. I didn't spill any coffee on me. Yes, for me. And I thought, this is my chance. I really like, this is my moment. Like I get to hit reset. This is a fresh start. Fantastic. And so I'm walking into this school. And as I'm walking into this school, it's this beautiful school. They have these nice paved terracotta Shiny tiles that are really, really good, except for when it rains. And so Jason is walking into this school, and I'm walking into the main entrance of the school, and someone's saying, hey, can you meet us in this room? And so I'm messaging back, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And I wasn't watching where I was going, and I kid you not, I like missed the first or second stair, and I just went, dum, 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 right down to the bottom of these stairs. Seriously, I think it was like eight stairs I slid down, and then I look up, there's the deputy principal there, and then there's all of these kids just watching me make this grand entrance into their chapel. But great news, I, um, I didn't drop my phone, so that was the real winner of that story. 
But it sort of gets a little more embarrassing because if that wasn't enough, the deputy came over. I think he thought, oh, no, this is paperwork. And I'm like, oh, no, this is my pride. And so then I get up. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. And I didn't realize that I cut my hands. Now, if you were listening, you heard that Jason wore a white shirt for the first time. And so I had accidentally just rubbed this hand that was covered in blood all over this white shirt. So I literally looked like I'd been to the abattoirs as I was walking into this chapel. Um, and, you know, like, it was okay. The, the, you know, it was all right. No kids booed me, so I'm going to write that one off as a win. But, but why do I tell that story? Well, I think that this time of the year is the time where we can so often think that this is my chance to hit reset. That this is, you know, it's January 1 or January 2nd now, but, you know, as of the new year, I'm going to. I'm going to decide to lose those kilos that I've put on. That's going to be my thing. I'm going to go to the gym every single day. You know, maybe last year you developed a bit of a potty mouth and you're like, this is the year where I'm going to learn not to say naughty words. Or, or you know, this is my year. I'm going to be more assertive. And, you know, you can really just add the list on. But what I find really interesting about so many of those um, so many of those New Year's resolutions, sorry, my mask falling out of my pocket, what a distraction. So many of those New Year's resolutions is, it's kind of like me thinking that by putting on a new shirt and driving my Suzuki Swift that everything's going to change. When really we actually haven't tried to change anything else other than a few little things and making some bold claims. And so this, this a month, as we look at what it means to establish healthy rhythms in our relationship with Christ... This isn't us just sort of saying, hey, new year, new us, like, because let's be honest, a lot of the people who say, hey, you know, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose some weight, I'm going to go to the gym every single day, after a week of realizing the gym's hard work, they say, hey, you know what, I'm going to try a new exercise routine, one week on, 51 weeks off, like, that's going to be the new way that I do it. You know, you walk past that kitchen table, you stub your toe, you remember those words you said you weren't meant to say, even though you said them out loud. And so what we want to do in this moment of establishing rhythms is not try and improve ourselves and better ourselves for the, for the sake of such small things. But what we want to do over this series is establish rhythms that not only remain with us for the duration of the next few months or this year, but hopefully if we can embed these rhythms deep enough into our hearts and our souls, these will be rhythms and routines in which we engage in our relationship with Christ for the rest of our lives. This is not just a great month, pep me up and then off we go and we forget about it. But this rhythm series is really a moment for us as a church to go, how do we establish rhythms with Christ at the core? What are the rhythms that I need to embark on for the sake of my faith? And so that being said, what I love to do is I just love it if we could just spend a moment in prayer before we get stuck into God's Word this morning. Let's pray. God, we just we thank you that we have this precious moment in time where at the start of the year, we get to, to look at what it means to establish healthy routines. But Lord, I just pray that it's not just something that we do in January, Lord. But these rhythms, in years to come, we hear of stories of people whose lives were transformed for, in their relationship with you through this series. And so, Lord, I just want to pray right now. Anyone who's sitting um, at home on a computer screen, watching it on a TV, Lord, whether we're here inside the auditorium, I just pray that if, if there's any distractions going on in our hearts and our souls and in our minds at the moment, Lord, may they just quickly fall by the wayside. And God, as we jump into your word, may we just be present with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So I grew up um, in a small country town called Seymour. Seymour's a lot like Bow Desert. Um, everyone makes fun of it, but the people who live there love it. You know, it's kind of one of those places. And in, um, in Seymour, mum and dad had this beautiful garden um, that they had. And like, you know, we had a few acres. And so, you know, it was on a hill. There was all of these nice trees and nice plants. And honestly, like as a teenage boy, they were really good obstacles for my motorbike and my push bike. But looking back, they were nice bits of the garden. I think we've just cut out. You know what? That's my cue. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Oh, good. All right. Back to what I know a handheld. All right. So, yeah, so we grew up um, in, in Seymour. And we had these um, wonderful gardens that, as I got a bit older, I was winning. again. We are winning. All right, we're good to go now. Oh, I was going to go around the whole auditorium, yeah. If you're watching online and you're wondering what happened, all the sound guys wanted to silence me and get me off the stage, but we're no, um, we just had some technical difficulties, but we are back, so that's fantastic. I was ready to go around the whole auditorium and ask everyone what their presents were, so whew, I'm glad these mics are working again. So yes, yeah, so I grew up in Seymour, um, and there was this um, beautiful garden that we had around our house, and one of those feature pieces 
that um, the mum and dad had this grand vision for was they wanted like the Burj Khalifa of pergolas. They wanted the most impressive pergola you could possibly think of. If you don't know what the Burj Khalifa is, it's a really tall building. And so what they did was, you know, they laid down these beautiful pavers. They made this beautiful framework. They wanted the barbecue there. They wanted the, the table and chairs and everything out there. They wanted this beautiful dining set. And I remember them explaining to us it was going to be this beautiful, like, green and purple wisteria. And it was just going to be lovely in the summertime and the spring. And, you know, they hyped it all up. And I remember this, you know, this this feature went into our house and then I remember mum and dad walking out with these tiny little plants and being like this is not what we were sold like you know here we were being told there were going to be these beautiful big plants and there were these tiny little things um, these tiny little plants that mum and dad planted in the ground and it was kind of like one of those almost a bit of a letdown in that moment because we pictured this grand thing but you see mum and dad had a bigger picture at play they knew that if what they did over time is if they watered that wisteria, they looked after that wisteria, and every time it sort of sloped over a little bit, they picked it back up and they worked it, and they gave it what we call a trellis, which is basically just something for a tree to grab onto and grow. But they had these trellises on this pergola that would help this plant grow to the point where it began to get all around the pergola. And then eventually, we had this beautiful wisteria all around our garden. And, and what I love about this wisteria is it was so beautiful, but also it was so dependent on the structure that it was built upon. You see, if that wisteria didn't have a pole to grow at the start, it would have just sort of, nothing would have happened. But then also, even as this fully finished structure, like you look at it and you think all oh, these tree branches would be so strong and, you know, of course it'll hold its own weight. But if we began to pull out the support beams that were holding the wisteria up, the whole thing would collapse because that, that, that wisteria, that plant, was dependent on the trellis. It was dependent on the support beams that were holding that up. And I want to ask you the question this morning, what are the support beams, what are the structures in your life that are supporting you? What are the structures that you lean on for direction? Maybe for you it might be finances. You think if I just, if I, oh, one more investment property or a few more zeros in my account or maybe this or maybe that, that may be a structure in which you lean on for direction in your life. Maybe for you it may be career aspirations. You're saying to yourself, if I can just climb a few more ranks or get these promotions or line this up, then things are going to be okay for me. You know, one that might be a little bit weird, but I actually think we actually need to label this. But I think a trellis, a structure that so many people cling onto, is fear. I think some people only feel like they can ever grow by the things that they cling onto in fear. And fear actually becomes, unfortunately, the flimsy structure in which you build your life upon. You know, this week as I was preparing this message, I found myself asking, I was like, well, what, what are some of the different structures that I've built my life upon? What are some of the trellises that, you know, maybe I've built my life upon and haven't turned out really well for me? And, you know, I'm quite a happy, cheery, sort of um, boisterous person. That's always been me. Um, and I remember a few years ago, someone said to me, Jason, you need to be really careful because a personality like yours, you can naturally lean into your humour to hide all of your other emotions. I thought, that's great for another time. Excellent heads up there. Wise counsel, but not for me. And then surely enough, not long after that, I found myself in a moment in my life where genuinely there was not much that I could find that brought me joy. 
life just felt a bit flat. If I was to really run with this metaphor of the trellis and the pergola, what it felt like was the things in which I had built my life upon, this, this persona that I was always happy, that I was always filled with humour, that that was who I am. When, those, when the trellises got pulled out, it felt like I just collapsed underneath myself. And so I found myself wrestling with this idea that maybe the structure in which I built my life upon wasn't as strong as I thought it was. Now, I've got to be honest, I was a follower of Christ at that time. I was a Christian, I was passionately following Jesus, but yet I found myself just so subconsciously building, this, building my life on this trellis that was not built on the life of Christ. And so I want to ask you the question, if today, if when we look at the structures, the trellises in which we build our life upon, if those structures were to be taken away or they were to collapse, and I don't say that to provoke fear, but I say that because I think we actually need to ask these questions. That if the, the trellises, the structures that we built our life upon, if they began to pull out from underneath us, how would we go? If the money ran out, if someone else got the promotion, if the joy ran out, what would happen? We'd begin to crumble. And once again, I don't say that to provoke fear, but I say that I think we as Christians, especially we as Christians, who call ourselves followers of Christ, we need to be consistently giving our hearts and our souls a check and asking, hey, what are the trellises? What are the, what are the structures that I'm building my life upon that aren't built upon Jesus? I think that's something that we need to constantly be keeping in check. You see, when I went through this moment where I just sort of felt like all, all my life had just sort of crumbled in on top of each other, I, um, I had this moment where I realised I can do one of two things. Either I can just continue moseying on like I, like I sort of felt like I was, or I can actually in some ways practice what I preach, live out, what, live out in reality what I had in my head. And that was to press into my relationship with God. And I need to be very honest with you. I am not a reader. Not at all. I find it so boring. I'd much rather watch a movie. I do not like reading. But I found myself in this moment in my life going, I think the one thing that I need most is to actually re rebuild the structures, rebuild the trellis in which my life was built upon. And so what I began to do is I began to sit in God's word. And nothing changed overnight. It wasn't like this instantaneous, okay, cool, the trellis was built. You know, it took time. I had to rebuild what I was growing on, but I found myself falling more and more in love with Jesus. And this conviction that was once there got so much stronger when I found myself going, no, no, I want to plant my life in something so much stronger than anything that the world can promise. Anything that the world has to offer at some point will more than likely collapse, but I want to put my faith, I want to put my hope and trust in something so much stronger than that. In John 15, Jesus kind of talks about this language, about us putting our structures, our, our lives, investing our lives into something bigger than ourselves. In John 15, um, verses 1 through to 8, we'll just sort of read through it slowly, um, bit by bit, and we'll just sort of unpack it because there is so much beauty and so much gold in this text. So Jesus starts by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. You see, right from the start, I love what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I am the true vine. What Jesus is saying is, I am the true source of life. I am the true source of life. And then what he's saying is, is that his father is the vine dresser. 
If we were to like, you know, JLT it, Jason Living Translation or Bogan Living Translation, whatever we want to call it, if we want to try and simplify that language, what Jesus is saying here is that when we attach ourselves to the true vine, then we come under the care of the ultimate groundskeeper. That when we actually attach ourselves to the vine, God becomes our groundkeeper. And then, as I said, with that imagery with my parents and my dad, you know, just sort of slowly working that vine up and making sure it works. It's that beautiful imagery of when we become attached to the true vine, the true source of life, we come under the care of the ultimate groundskeeper. And it goes on to say, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, when we read this, we can kind of almost be a little bit confronted. Like there's some, some strong language in that text. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You see, some people, when we, when we read this, or people may find that as they read words like this, they go, ha, that's the catch to Christianity. God wants to pull the rug out from underneath me. God wants to see me fall. I knew that there was a catch. But actually, when we read what Jesus is truly trying to communicate, we don't see that at all. Because common sense tells me that I'm no horticulturalist. But if I was trying to grow a beautiful garden and there was a dead like branch, of course I want to remove it. To create room for something else to grow. So here we are reading texts like this and just thinking, well, God wants to kneecap us. No, God doesn't. If we read that text for what Jesus is trying to tell us, what he is saying is, he's saying that anything that isn't giving your soul life, anything that isn't drawing you closer to the one true vine, God wants to take that away from you. Those thoughts that you're having that aren't glorifying of God, the gossip you're engaging in in work, the things you're looking at on the internet, the music you choose to listen to is sort of your guilty pleasure. God wants to get rid of that because he knows that it's not going to nourish your soul. So we can't come to a text like this and think God's trying to rob us of something. No, God's trying to create room for something more in our lives. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I think as Christians, we shouldn't fear being pruned. We shouldn't fear those moments of us maybe being humbled or things being taken off us or seasons changing because if we believe wholeheartedly what Jesus Christ is saying, He's saying He prunes it so that it can grow more, so that something else can come of this, so that more kingdom fruit can be born because of this pruning. I think that's beautiful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I as you. That beautiful line. Abide in me and I as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now first I think it's helpful for us just to kind of get um, a helpful understanding. When we hear the word abide, what are they trying to, trying to communicate to us? And if we go back to the, to, to the Greek and the original definition, it could kind of be easily translated to abide means to settle down and be at home. So what's Jesus trying to tell us here to do? He's saying settle down and be at home. What a beautiful invitation that Jesus simply says, settle down and be at home. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
There's a comedian um, and a TV personality um, named Jim Carrey. He's quite a funny guy, Ace Ventura. He's done some other things. Um, and he has this beautiful quote where it kind of seemed like he went through this season in his life where, you know, he grew his beard out and he grew his hair long and he just sort of came out of the woodworks. And then he had this amazing quote, and I'm not going to get it word for word, so please don't hunt me down for it. But it was something along the lines of, I wish that everyone could experience fame and riches so that they realise it wasn't what they wanted. I find that so powerful. To hear someone who literally has everything the world can offer and is saying, no, no, there's something more than this at play. You see, this, this affirms exactly what Jesus is saying here. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what Jesus is trying to say here is he's saying all the money, all the riches, all the promotion, all the cool stuff, all this, all that, all that. If it's not built on me, then it's for nothing. Once again, this is beautiful language that Jesus actually invites us in to be a part of this. He's saying, abide in me. Make yourself at home, maybe in a home that you've never made before. Make yourself at home and experience a whole new way of life. And he goes on to say, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So once again, we read this and the reality of this can be quite confronting. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, what, what Jesus is saying here is those of you who choose to, to make your home, those of you who choose to be grafted into the kingdom of God, then you are going to bear much fruit for God's glory. See, I love that. Isn't that beautiful to know? And then on the flip side, those of you who aren't, you're not going to bear much fruit. And so what Jesus is actually saying here is what he said at the start. He says, I am the true vine. Jesus is now explaining to us the reality of this. He's saying that through me, you will have life. Through me, you'll be able to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God, not for our glory, but for God's glory. I love what Jesus is communicating here. And then verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, when I read that, I go, oh, yeah, Ferrari time. <laughs> I'm asking for a Ferrari. Not really. I don't really like Ferraris. But you know what I mean. We get the metaphor. But see, what I find interesting is, you know, we'll run with the Ferrari metaphor. You know, I find myself praying for a Ferrari. I'm like, no, oh, come on, God. It says in your word, like, you know, ask for it and I'll get it. But then the more I think of it, the more I go, well, who's that trying to serve? When I come to God asking for things like Ferraris, if I actually trace back to where that goes, that's actually not, that's not abiding in Christ. That's me wanting to live out my own selfish desires. That's me praying for things that just I want to make my life better. But then I find it so interesting on the flip side that when I pray for moments in my life, in my week, in my day, say, hey God, I just pray that you just give me an opportunity to shine your light. God, I pray that at this party, you just give me an opportunity to just speak about you for a moment. 
I find that those moments just come from every angle. That when I begin to pray for these moments, I find that God just does that. And it's so beautiful and it's so reassuring for me because I realize that one of them, if I actually trace the vine back to where it comes from, it's not God honoring. It's not centered on Christ. It's not grafted into Christ. That's my own selfishness. But actually when I'm following Christ, when I'm grafted into Christ's family, and I ask for ways in which I can enrich the kingdom of God, not for my glory, but for God's, I just find that God just puts those things in place for me. You see, when we read a text like this, the gospel truth is so obvious. It's so real. What the, the metaphors that Jesus is using are so rich and so beautiful. Jesus is inviting us to be grafted into His family. Jesus is saying, I am the one true source of life and you can be a part of that. That when you're a part of my family, you will be a part of this trellis. You'll be under the caretaker of God, the ultimate groundskeeper. You're going to be a part of this family and all we have to do is make ourselves at home. seems too good to be true, doesn't it? That all we have to do is make ourselves at home. Be grafted into God's family. Allow God to cut off the branches that aren't producing any fruit. Sometimes that really, really hurts. We create room for God to, to prune back some of the things in our life that are producing fruit in the hope that we can produce more kingdom fruit. This scripture is laced with the beauty of the gospel that anyone who wants to be grafted into the kingdom of God can be. That anyone who wants to make Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior can be. It's beautiful. What a beautiful way for us to start our year here in New Life. For us to be reminded of the beauty of the rawness of the gospel. You see, when we think about this idea of rhythms and what it means for us to, to live out the, these um, rhythms in our faith, we kind of go, well, what's, what's this got to do with rhythms? You see, like I said, when, when mum and dad made that giant pergola, it started off with these tiny little plants. And over time, as those plants got watered and got nurtured, they grew a little more. And then as they sloped over, dad began to pick them up again. And then again and again, and he began to guide them. To create them into something so beautiful that they were created to be. You see, Dad had a vision for those plants, and those plants without his guidance wouldn't have got to. So what does this have to do with rhythms? Well, it starts with something small. It starts by us responding to the promptings that God places on our heart. Over the next three, three weeks, Michael's going to get a lot more practical around what it means for us to actually really practically live out these rhythms. But what I want to do is I just want to say, hey, this is, this is the gospel. You want to know the beauty of the rhythms? This is it. For us to be grafted into relationship with Christ, for us to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that our life, our trellis, the foundation in which we are building our life upon, is built upon the life of Jesus. So much fruit can come from something so small. 
these rhythms, as I said, for me, it was just simply picking up that Bible and reading it. And that's something that I don't do every single day. But I try my very hardest to make sure that my day starts with reading the Bible. Because it's something as I've got into more and more of that rhythm, I've just found the beauty of what it actually means to just sit and read God's love letter to us. You know, my grandpa, um, his name was Harwood. Um, it's not really relevant, but that's his, not really relevant, but that's his name, Harwood. He's a, he was a great man. And he, he was a mighty man of God. But what I found interesting about Grandpa was he wasn't the kind of person that, you know, overtly like spoke about Jesus, if that makes sense. But he always waited for the opportunities to present Jesus. You know, like he was that guy. He was just happy to sit and to wait. And he never really, never really shared about, you know, the, the Bible verses that he was reading in his quiet time or never really shared about his private life in his, in his prayer. But towards the end of his life, Grandpa actually developed dementia which meant that he, um, he begun to forget things. And it sort of got to the point where, you know, we would be there um, visiting him and he'd kind of be there, kind of wouldn't be there. But what I found so beautiful was that in Grandpa's little nursing home, what was there front and centre right next to his bed? It was this giant big Bible. You see, Grandpa had actually forgotten how to read because of his dementia. But what he would do is everyone who would come in he would ask them to just, hey, can you just read a little bit for me? Just read a little bit of that Bible for me? Because you see, Grandpa knew that through years and years, these rhythms that he established of reading God's Word in private, he knew that it was doing something so much in his heart that even when his brain began to slip in, he still knew that reading God's Word was the most important thing. And I loved it because I was always kind of like, oh, Grandpa, like that's a pretty sneaky way of getting people to read the Bible. And then he'd just wink at me. So he knew what he was doing. Because as much as it was for him, he goes, I know where I'm going. He'd tell everyone, I'm going to heaven. But he wanted everyone who came into that room to read out those words on the page for them to have their lives transformed by what they read. You see, he's a man who, even though his mind begun to slip in, his rhythms were so embedded in his life that it was the only thing that he knew what to do. The other beautiful thing about my grandpa was, I said, I never really heard him talk much about his prayer life or his, you know, how he prayed in private. But I remember one of the last times I got to see him, he sat down with me. And like I say, he was sort of going in and out of conversation and sort of with the sort of wasn't. There was this moment where he leant over and with, it was almost like this conviction that I hadn't seen in years from my grandpa. He leant over and he goes, Jason, I pray for you every single day. There was so much conviction and his eyes were just telling the truth to the statement that he was making. And I just thought, isn't that the most beautiful thing to see? That someone whose brain is letting them down, someone who all of the foundations of their life are sort of getting pulled out from underneath them, but they're saying, no, 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 the one true thing in my life is my relationship with Christ. I still know to read the Bible. I still know that every morning when I get up, I'm going to pray. And New Life Church, I think that's the kind of posture that we should be having towards rhythms. I think we should be so hungry and so desperate to, to engulf ourselves with these rhythms, these spiritual rhythms that we can get into in private. That throughout our whole life, it's just like this outpouring. And then wherever our life leads us, we're so, so dependent on those routines that whatever life throws at us, the money runs out, the promotion doesn't come, you have a tiff with someone, 
things don't go the way that you thought they were going to go, when everything falls around around you, you know that your foundation is built upon Christ. That those rhythms that started so small have now produced so much fruit. My hope and my prayer in your life is that over the next four weeks, what doesn't happen is that, you know, we have four weeks of woohoo and then off we go and we forget about it. My hope and my prayer is that what happens over these four weeks, that God convicts and reveals things to us. And that from this series, we can be known as Christians, followers of Christ, who the rest of our lives, these rhythms are poured out. New Life Church, what are the foundations that you're building your life upon? What's the structure that you're building your to do now is I just love to just spend a moment just in prayer, just stilling our hearts and stilling our minds because I really get a sense um, that the Holy Spirit just wants to move and wants to speak to some people. And so the best thing for me to do is stop talking and just wait and we're just going to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. So would you now just close your eyes, um, bow your heads, we're just going to spend a now I just pray
circumstances felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to come down and be prayed for. And so there's going to be a few staff members down the front. There may even be some section leaders, um, some different people throughout um, the, the next few songs. If you if you just feel a prompting on your heart to come down the front for prayer, uh, can I encourage you, be brave about that. Don't live a life of fear. Live a life of faith. So why don't we now, why don't we jump to our feet why don't we sing this song? And as I said, if you would like prayer, please come down the front. Nothing fills our heart with joy more than praying for people. It is a beautiful thing that we get to partake in, so please don't think you're burdening us or your prayers are too silly or too simple. We would love to pray for you, so please feel free to come down the front. And if not, let's sing.